Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Woo! Good to see Full House at 48th Street. And it was a full house last service of 48th Street. Thankful for that. Hope there's a full house at every one of our locations. We are welcoming you. It's so glad, just so glad to be together, to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. And right now we're celebrating 12-year anniversary for 929. Give it up for 929. So thankful for all of the incredible things that God has done in your midst among you. And uh, he's doing that all across the board. And we're just so thankful for that. We uh, also welcome everyone that's inside and online, along with all of our locations throughout this region. So thankful for each and every one of you. And I have been thankful for the last five weeks because I have heard some solid gold coming from Clayton. Amen. It's been awesome. Awesome. Be able to share in that ministry. God is so incredibly good. And one of the things that we've been incorporating into this series, there has to be a place series, is we've been spending some time in prayer. Been doing that at the beginning of, of each sermon time. So I, I want to do that with you as well. So if you'll stand to your feet, I would appreciate that. All of our locations, if you'll do that. Now I know that we've been asking for people to raise their hands and then people come around to other people, but this uh, today what I want to do is I just want to concentrate on you. I want you to concentrate on you, okay? If you'll do that with me. Uh, a little while back, we had Randy Frazee here, and uh, he was uh, talking about some really, really important things that I thought would be really important as we move through and post-pandemic. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, uh, one of the things he talked about was stress. How many of you, honestly, you're feeling some stress, right? Look, if, if there's somebody around you who doesn't have their hand up, it's like, what, what are you taking? <laughs> like, what are you? Whoa, really? Because yeah, I feel stress. I mean, uh, if, if there was a stress check cereal, I'd be probably eating that. Because it's just like stress. A lot of stress. And we're dealing with a lot of stress. And he did something in a directed prayer time uh, when he was here that really impacted me. All right? And I'm going to explain it first, and then I'm going to lead you through it. And this is what he did. He had us all put our hands down to our sides. Don't do this right. You don't have to worry about it right now because I'm just going to tell it to you, then we'll do it, okay? He had, had us put our hands down to our sides, and then he had us clench our fists, like as hard as we could, and hold it, like just, just bearing down. Because I think that is a good physical representation of what stress feels like. It's where you just get so wound up, you get so tight, because you're just trying to control, you're trying to hold on, you're trying to keep it together, However you want to describe it, this is like, ah, uh, you know, and, and we held that for a while. And then he said, what I want you to do is just, is just release that and put your palms down. And he talked about the illusion of control and how we tend to try to be people who try to control everything. And a lot of our stress comes from that. It comes from this desire to control everything. But we need to understand as believers in Jesus Christ, one of the greatest things that we have that we get to do is we get to release that. We get to turn that over to the Lord. The Bible te teaches us that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me, and I want you to put your arms down to your sides. Now I want you to take those hands and put them into fists. And now I want you to just put as much stress on that as you can. Just, and just hold it. Don't let go. Just hold on to that stress. And I want you to think about 
all of the stuff you're dealing with right now, the relational stuff, the financial stuff, the work stuff, the marriage, the children, all the things that you're trying to manage, all of the plates you try to keep spinning, all that stuff down in the lower story, and you're holding on, trying to keep it together. Hold that. Just keep holding it. Because that's how it feels. Heavenly Father, this is what it's like. When we're trying to manage everything, we're trying to hold on to everything. Sometimes it's just painful. It's hard. We don't want to let go because we're afraid if we let go of it, if we don't hold it this tight, something really bad's going to happen. And we don't want that to happen, so we hold on and we hold on. Now I just want you to let go. Just put your palms down. Father, that's what we want to do right now. We know this is a safe place. And we know you're here in this place. We want you to have our burdens. We want to cast our cares upon you because we know that you care for us. Take our burdens and help us to relinquish control. Hand it over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. I hope that is getting you ready for what I'm going to talk about today. We're in the last sermon in the series, There Has to Be a Place. And what I want to talk to you about today is there has to be a place where truth matters. There has to be a place where truth matters. Now, I'm the youngest of six children, and I grew up in a family of eight, and there were plenty of times when the wheels came off in our house. That ever happened in your house? Can I get an amen? Amen. So with six of us, there were plenty of arguments and fights and confrontation, and mom and dad acted as judge, jury, and yes, executioner. And I don't know if executions worked the way they did back then, because I know that there's a lot of different rules, but I can tell you, I experienced a couple of those executions myself. Now, when we were caught or called out, we all became lawyers. I don't know if you become a lawyer, that's, we all become a lawyer. We would plead our cases. We would present our evidence. But the thing that was actually in the shortest supply in those moments was the truth. Because what we would do is we would spin it And we would emphasize one part over another part. We would minimalize the other part. Or we might just lie and deny it altogether. I didn't do that. I don't know who did that. Any of you connecting with this? The thing is, no matter how much we abuse the truth, the truth still mattered. And it seems to me that in our world today, it's getting increasingly hard to find the truth with all of the agendas out there. How many of you would agree with me about that? Yeah, it is hard to find the truth with all these agendas. So, the Oxford Dictionary named this word, this hyphenated word, post-truth, their word of the year in 2016. In 2016. Think about what's happened between 2016 and 2022. I mean, think about what we're living in right now. This reality of extreme partisanship, and it's married to the social media, and how quickly misinformation and disinformation gets out there, it makes 
post-truth a really unique challenge of our time, doesn't it? It's sort of a, a pandemic of disinformation and misinformation. But there has to be a place where truth still matters. But the question is, where are you going to find it? Where are you going to find that truth? I want you to ask yourself a question right now along with me. How important is truth to you? How about truth from your doctor? That important to you? Be pretty important to me. How about truth on your bank statement? Would that be important to you, that truth? How about truth from your employer? How about truth from your spouse or your kids? You name it. Truth is still very important to us. So it gets a little crazy living in a post-truth culture, right? Hopefully, we're smart enough that we don't expect it from politicians or news media or social media. But you know what? That's pretty hard because we get a lot of our information from those places, right? And it's hard because there is a right and there is a wrong. And if we drill down on it, we might find that we're on the wrong side of it. And we don't like being wrong. But rather than admitting it, maybe we just want to blow it off, just blow the truth off. But is that a good trade? Is that a good idea to do that? I don't think so. I think it's a bad trade. Now, the Bible is the wellspring of truth for our souls. And it's just as refreshing as it is nourishing. And if we want to have truth in a post-truth culture, that's where we have to go first. You know why? Because it gives you a firm place to stand amid all of the shifting and sinking sand of the lower story that surrounds you. You know, Jesus really keyed in on this, on the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually how he ended the sermon. He talked about two houses, one that was built on a rock and another one that was built on sand. And he talked about how the elements rose up against those houses, the wind and the rain and a storm, and it blew against the house. And the one that was on the sand fell with a mighty crash, but the one that was Built on the rock, it stood the test of the storms of life. And I think that's exactly what we want. We want to build our life on a firm foundation. And in order for that to happen, we have to find a place where truth matters. And we have to apply that truth to our life. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you to God's Word. And I'm going to show you all of these places All these things that truth can do for you. But you're going to find that truth comes with a a price tag. If you're going to take that truth into your heart, you need to understand what goes along with it. And there's 15 of these. And it'll take a little while to go through them. So rather than you just killing yourself writing notes, we're going to put a QR code up here. And I'm going to stand next to this so so that you have plenty of time. If you want to take a picture of this with your phone... It'll just put that into your phone. So you'll be able to refer to that, uh, these 15 things. Because I think that you're going to agree with me. When we go through this, you're going to go, yeah, I want that. Yeah, I want that. And then it's going to help you to understand how that becomes a reality in your life. Are you ready to go through them with me? How many of you ready to go through them with me? 
Yeah, give me an amen. It's better than hands. Yeah, yeah, all right. All right, here's the first one. Pretty well known. Truth can set you free. How many of you want to be free? How many want to live free? Truth can set you free, but not until you know it. John 8.32. Jesus said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's the promise, and there's the condition. You have to know it if you want it to set you free, okay? Here's the next one. Truth can overpower sin, but not until you admit it. See, that's a problem with us. We don't want to admit that we're sinners, that we're sinful people. It can overpower that sin. Truth can, but you have to admit it. We read that in 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Truth has the ability to express love. How many of you want to express love in your life? Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, but not until you act on it. Can't just say it. You have to act on it. 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Truth can be recognized. You You can understand it. You can see it, but not until you discern it. You have to be able to discern it. 1 John 4, 6. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Truth can defend you. You want to be defended. I want to be defended. I don't want to have to stand there by myself. Right? I need people on my team with me. Truth can defend you, but not until you learn to use it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Truth can hold you up when you feel like you're going to fall, when you're going to blow it. Truth can hold you up but not until you secure that truth, not until you secure it. Ephesians 6.14, about the armor of God. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that belts are there to hold your pants up. And there's nothing more embarrassing than having your pants fall down. And it's not a very good way to fight because you're going to trip over yourself. Right? So if you want to be held up, you need to secure that truth. Truth also has the ability to recreate you, but not until you submit to it. Look what it says in James 1.18. He chose to give us birth, that's recreation, through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. I want to be recreated. And that's how it happens. You know, truth can surround you with glory. Think about that. The glory of the Lord can surround you, but not until you behold it. John 1.14, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us, and we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Truth has the ability to transport you. But not until you worship in it. 
I mean, it'll literally take you out of the room you're in right now, right to the throne room of God. But you have to worship in it. John 4, 24, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Truth can admit you, let you in, but not until you pass through it. Jesus is very clear on this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth can guide you, and we all need that. God, what do you, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? The truth can guide you, but you have to listen to it. John 16, 13 says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Truth can sanctify you. Set you apart for a holy purpose. But you have to read it. It's not going to happen until you read it. Jesus told us this in John 17, 17. Sanctify them as he's praying to the Father. By the truth, your word is truth. Truth can choose you. We all want to be chosen. Truth can choose you, but not until you testify to it. John 18, 37 and 38 says, this is Jesus talking to Pontius Pilate. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pontius Pilate says something that a lot of people in our world and our culture today are saying. What is truth? With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. (coughs) But it didn't matter, did it? It didn't matter that there was no basis for a charge against him. They still executed him. You know why? Because as far as Pontius Pilate was concerned, What is truth? Truth can set you apart. We all want to be special, don't we? We all want to feel that knowledge of being special in God's eyes. It can set you apart, but not until you believe it. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And Truth can make you rejoice, but not until you delight in it. Are you delighting in it? 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Wow. All 15 of those. Those are awesome. Give me some of that. I need some of that. I want all that. But as you can see, there is a cost to each aspect of it. And that makes it not so easy, right? Here's what is easy though, ready? Just make truth totally subjective. Hey, you do you, I'll do me. What's true for you isn't true for me. I'll define God how I really would like him or her or it. I'll take my truth a la carte. I'll just get the things off the buffet that I want and the rest of them I'll leave there, right? Or I'll just deny truth altogether. I'll make up my own story. I'll put it on social media. I'll put it in all capital letters so people think I really believe it. 
But there are grave, grave consequences to that line of thinking. When I make up my own truth, civility goes out the window. You can forget it. Because if your truth and my truth aren't the same, I can cyberbully you because I don't like you. Because that's my truth. I can take advantage of you because it's my word against yours. I can use racial slurs because in my own opinion, I'm better than you are. I can rob you because I think somehow you owe me. Laws and punishments are supposed to be based on truth. To keep us from the law of the jungle, right? Where might makes right. But where our laws come from are just as, is just as important as the fact that we have them, right? Because we have all seen and studied and heard of cultures that are in charge and they make laws and they're anything but right. And just because there's a law about it doesn't make it right. And just because there, there, there isn't a law about it doesn't make it okay. I remember in the early 2000s, I had the opportunity to go to former East Germany, a place called Buchenwald. It's the only time I've ever been at a Nazi concentration camp. It was horrible. It was a very eye-opening experience, but very horrible. And I remember standing in a space right in front of the crematorium. And of course, they have those graphic pictures there that shows you how it was used at the time. How emaciated bodies, after they were killed or died, were stacked like cordwood, this direction and in this direction, and then just loaded in mass into these crematoriums, and the smoke went up constantly. But that wasn't the part that got me. You see, right next to the crematorium was a big fence. At the top of the fence, there was concertina wire. It was to keep all the prisoners in, all the people that were going to be killed in. Right on the other side of that fence, there was a road. And right on the other side of the road, there was a, a zoo. And they had an enclosure for bears and lions and tigers and monkeys and everything you could think of that would normally be in a zoo. And SS officers would bring their children there to have a nice picnic and enjoy the zoo 20 yards away from where they were loading dead bodies into a crematorium because the law said it was perfectly okay to do what they were doing. Bottom line is might does not make right. It's very important where your laws come from. And if your laws don't come from the Word of God, they're coming from the wrong place. Secondly, truth doesn't move. But we do. So we need constant realignment to the truth. Not the other way around. So we're living in the time of the year where this wonderful blessing called potholes are created right? Because of the constant freezing and thawing and, and plowing and everything else that happens in the American Midwest. And so you're like me, you're driving down the road, you're minding your own business, you're staying in your lane and pow! Your car, your truck hits that pothole. And then something really strange happens. You're turning right all the time because your vehicle is turning left all the time. 
And you're compensating. You know what we call that? We call that being out of, yeah, you're out of alignment. So what you have to do is you have to go to a place and they put it on this contraption and they have to do a lot of things to the geometry of your vehicle to put it back right because your vehicle is out of alignment. Now, how many of you would say, no, that's not what I do. I just go to roads that turn left and that's all I drive on. I'm just going to drive on the roads that turn left because it's hard to be on the roads that turn right because then I'm really tugging hard on this thing, right? Or you just get mad because, you know, what is wrong with this road? There's nothing wrong with the road. Roads don't move. It's your car that has the problem. Repentance is how I get realigned to the truth. It's ridiculous to expect the road to submit to my car. I have to teach my car how to submit to the road. Repentance is how I get realigned to the truth. We live in a culture today that is post-repentance. We're post-civility and we're post-repentance. You know what repentance is? It is what tells me that God is right and I'm not him. If I'm always right and things go wrong in my life, well, you know what I like to do? I like to put a label on myself. Maybe you do too. I'm the victim. Oh, I'm the victim. Sound familiar? But repentance reminds me that I'm flawed, that I make mistakes, and that I'm accountable. So I need to realign to the truth. I don't need the truth to realign to me. In a post-truth culture, that's what we're doing. I need truth. I have to find a place where truth matters. You know, Jesus never, ever asks you to confess the sins of others, although we seem to all be experts at it. Have you ever noticed that? You get on social media. Everybody's pointing out the problems in everybody else, right? God, Jesus never said, hey, confess the sins of everybody else. He only tells you to confess yours, right? Well, I don't want to do that. I'm the victim. No, no. We need to be people of repentance. And if truth doesn't move, we will be. Isn't it interesting how few people are willing to be accountable to anyone except themselves? It takes us to this place where trust no longer exists. Like, why are we going to, we can't trust anyone, right? Because. No one's being accountable to me like they're supposed to. You know why? Because they're being accountable to themselves. And so then we create these pockets of post-truth culture that become nothing more than echo chambers where everyone says and thinks exactly the same way that I say and think, so there is no accountability. But where there is no accountability, there is no need for grace. If you never do anything wrong... You don't need anybody to forgive you. You don't need any grace, right? And so what we end up doing, when we live in a post-truth culture, we lose civility, we lose, lose the ability to realign, and there's no accountability. We tear ourselves away from the truth, and that means we are tearing ourselves away from the very thing that saves us. There has to be a place where truth matters, and it needs to be this place. This is the place where truth needs to, needs to matter. Now, I'm so thankful that you applauded that because 
Truth can never matter in this place until it matters in this place. This place. If a person can be one who is committed to biblical truth in their heart, then collectively we can be a place where people can find it. Not your truth, not my truth, but all caps, the truth. I want to give you seven ways quickly that you can align yourself to truth that matters. You can take action right now. And you can claim those wonderful benefits of truth that I shared a little while ago. Number one, anchor yourself to God's Word. Anchor yourself to God's Word. Give up trying to be God and submit right and wrong to Him. You know, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, the Lord part means that we give up our freedom to determine right and wrong for ourselves and we yield to right and wrong as God defines it. Anchor yourself to the Word of God. Number two, stop the spin. Stop spinning. Excuses and rationalizations are just attempts to manipulate the people around you and manipulate yourself. So stop spinning. Number three, repent of your sin. We are all part of the problem. The reason that we have steps at all of our locations is because we, got a place, we have to have a place where we can back up the truck and dump our sin. We need repentance. <clears throat> Listen, you will never address what you are unwilling to confess. We need to be a place where confession is normal. We confess our things to God. We let those things down. Next one, embrace love. Embrace love. Remember that on the other side of repentance, there is forgiveness for yourself and for others. I don't want to be forgiven because then I have to admit that I've done something wrong. But when you admit that, and when you share that, and you ask for forgiveness for that, then the opportunity to give and receive forgiveness is there. And that is the way you embrace love. Next one, push politics down, for goodness sake. Push it down. God is bigger than politics. And politics has never fixed the world, but Jesus did. So stick with that. When in the world did politics become our God? What a low bar. Here's one that's going to get up in your grill. You ready? Love people you disagree with. If your version of Christianity doesn't include loving people you disagree with, it isn't Christianity. I don't know what it is, but it's not Christianity. Jesus didn't exactly agree with the people that were nailing him to a cross, but he loved them. He died for them. Love people you disagree with. Number seven, hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. It's the lower story that's the cynical story. It's the lower story that's the sinking sand story. Hold on to hope because the hope is in the upper story. Quit looking down. Start looking up. 
Old adage goes, two men look through prison bars. One sees the mud, the other sees stars. Quit looking at the mud. There's plenty of it. My dad used to say, if you look for the bad in people, you'll always find it. Look for the good. Keep your head up. Hold on to hope. Because it's in the upper story and in hope where we find the saturation of truth. I want to end with this. A lot of times when I'm preaching or Clayton's preaching, we start with a Bible story and then we kind of take it apart, right? And we come up with three points in a poem at the end to emphasize all the things we learned in the Bible story. But this time I'm going at it the other way. I'm going to, I'm going to put a bow on it with a Bible story. And this Bible story is found in Luke 23. And it is one of the most informative stories on truth that I think you'd ever find. The context of the story is Jesus being crucified on a cross, bearing the sins of the whole world. He's sweating. He's bleeding. He's dying. He's in absolute agony. But he's not alone. There are two other people that are dying beside him. One on each side. Both of them thieves. One of the thieves joins with the crowd that is reviling and cursing Jesus out. If you're the son of God, save yourself and us, he says. Really, dying, but he still has time to be hateful. But then there's this other thief. And he's one of the most amazing characters in all of God's word. And from his cross, he declares four truths, four truthful statements that are just amazing. Here's number one. Don't you fear God? He says that to the guy on the other cross. Don't you fear God? That's an amazing, truthful statement. That this guy in reviling Jesus is actually reviling God. He is equating Jesus and God. Think about this. He's looking at a man bleeding and sweating and dying on a cross right next to him and recognizes that he's God. All evidence to the contrary. Isn't that amazing? Don't you fear God? Wow. It's easy to have a love and a respect for God when everything is going right in your life. But when things get all turned upside down, it gets a little harder. We start blaming him, right? We start cursing him. We're like the thief on the other side. I think you see something amazing out of that thief when he makes that statement. The second statement is this. We're getting what we deserve. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, it's true. The fact is, Sin leads to death. The Bible's very clear about that, right? And he recognizes, I'm guilty. He admits the truth about himself. We are getting what, the, what we deserve. Do you admit that truth about yourself, that you need to be saved? Because you can't do it yourself. Next truthful statement. But this man has done nothing wrong. Amazing. All evidence to the contrary is being executed by the state. 
But obviously this thief on the cross realizes that there's a truth that's greater than the truth of the state or the truth of government. This man has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. He's the lamb of God. He's taking on the sins of the world. And then finally, number four, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The only thing that would give this guy any inkling of that truth would be a symbol of mockery, a crown of thorns that's on Jesus' head, or maybe the sign over his head that says Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Like two items of mockery, and yet in this, this, this incredibly poignant moment, in the death of this thief, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what I love about that truth? It stands, those four truths stand against everything that culture would have said to that guy. And he held on to that. That solid ground. So Jesus would say, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. I challenge you, all of you at all of our locations, you have found a place where truth matters. You have found the source of truth. In God's word, in the presence of Jesus, hold on to that truth and don't let go. We're moving to a time of decision. <clears throat> so, so, okay. So, okay, I, I, I'm sitting here. I, I heard you. I believe it. It's like, great. Let's not, lo let's not love with words. Let's not love with our rear end in a seat. Let's move. Let's let actions speak for us. There are some of you here today that have never entered into an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, ever. I have no idea who you are. But there's someone walking up and down these aisles. He knows exactly who you are. And he's been planning for this day. He's been planning for this moment. He wanted you to hear the truth, and here's the truth. He loves you. He loves you enough to die for you and did, in fact, die for you. He did nothing wrong. And he has a kingdom. And if you come to him and accept that truth, he will remember you. So I will remember. If you don't have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I encourage you to go over by the baptistry in a moment. There'll be somebody there who'll help you with your next steps. And I know that takes some boldness, but truth is a bold thing. And I want you to consider making that decision your decision today. Somebody accepted that in the first service. We watched them 
immersed into Christ. Somebody, somebody on a snowy night on Thursday night made that decision, and we watch them get immersed into Christ. And the angels will sing for you today if you come to that knowledge of the truth and let it set you free. Many of you here today have made that decision to come to Christ and to that, enter into that relationship, but you know what? It hit you pretty hard when you were making those fists a while ago because you're trying to carry it. You're trying to handle it. And what the steps are all about is to get low. Just to get low. And then to feel the arms of Jesus come around you and lift you up. Because he will. When you drop those burdens to feel the freedom of casting your cares on him. And knowing how he's going to love you in hard times. I really want you to consider just backing the truck up and dumping the junk and experiencing the freedom. Because when you know the truth that Jesus paid it all, it'll set you free. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, take this moment. It's all yours. It's all yours. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts so that we can yield and let you have your way in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.